Okay, if you would open your Bibles to uh, Psalm 51, which if you're using one in the seats is page 398. I'll tell you right now, I'm going to go long today, so thank you. We've been talking about prayer, and in doing so, we have been, uh, well, we're going to be parsing up the prayer a little bit, talking about adoration, and today we're talking about confession, and we'll be talking about other sorts of ways of praying and ways of thinking about it, and it's raised this question in my mind, is it really right for me to parse up prayer like this, to say, that's adoration, this is how we pray adoration, and this is confession, and and to that, I've, I've come up with this answer, yes and no. Like at some level, yes, it is appropriate in the sense that I think we do it, and I don't think the Lord zings us on it. I mean, all of us have prayed going into your SATs or your tests, God, help. Help me. That's a pretty short prayer. Not a lot of adoration. Not a lot of confession that you probably should have said something. Right? But we parse it down, right? Or there's times when when like at the birth of a child or you know watching your, your children or on a sunrise you just say yes lord yes like that's it right and there's not a lot of supplication there and you're not asking for anything and you're just kind of adoring him for who he is and what he's done and there's times where you you mess up and you make a mistake and your prayer sounds like god uh, sorry about that right and and I'm not trying I don't want to all be critical about all that those we can have these kind of short, parsed prayers, these, these single-task prayers. I, I think of that, but I also would say that the reality, the holistic reality of prayer is, is that it is a language of relationship with God, which means that it, there needs to be long conversations in your life with Him. What I mean to say is, you can't build a real relationship with a human by texting. It's fractional, and it's flat. I mean, if your whole relationship with your your spouse was, uh, you know, pick up beans on the way home, LOL, (laughs) right? Or see ya. Or if it was was just, you know, kind of passing on the couch, hey, pass me that, yeah, thanks. Oh, sorry about that. If it was all just the common common language of the day, the daily language, eventually, and you know this to be the case, your relationship suffers. At some point, you need to sit down, go on a date, take time together, do something to have a real conversation. And so what I'm saying is, is the parsed out kind of short prayers in our life, ultimately, they're built on a bedrock of a real relationship. And that real relationship is expressed through real prayer. And in real prayer, adoration weaves in and out with confession and with requests and with need, and with thankfulness. They weave in and out like a conversation weaves in and out. And so I don't want to artificially parse the idea. I just want to kind of uh, help us to approach prayer more thoughtfully. And so with that said, we're going to be looking at confession this morning. And you should be, uh, you're in Psalm 51 already, I think, so I'm behind you. Let's look here. Now, I want us to look at verse 0. Aha, there is a verse zero. Look at Psalm 51, and then find one and look up. There's this, this, in my Bible, it's a different font. But it says this, it says, For the director of music, a psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery 
with Bathsheba. Let me give you a little background there of what happened. The story is found in 2 Samuel uh, 11 and 12. But what happened here is that David uh, fell into sin with Bathsheba. While Bathsheba's wife was at war, David was at home. He sees her, he's attracted to her, and he takes her as his own, sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. And upon finding out that, David arranges um, tactically for Uriah the Hittite to fall in battle so as to kind of clean the situation up of, of kind of damage to people. Damage to himself, right? And uh, that happens, and he takes Bathsheba now to be his wife, and time goes by, and David does not confess. His first time in preparing for this message that I realized that Significant time went by. A child was born when Nathan shows up. So Nathan comes to, Nathan is a prophet, and he comes to David, the king, and he presents the, 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 the issue of sin in a kind of a, a parabolic way. He kind of tells a parable for, for David uh, to kind of to twist David's mind around, and David ends up condemning uh, in the parable the very thing that he himself has committed. And then Nathan kind of blows the doors off of this thing and says, you have done this exact thing in your own life, and God sees it. And it's there that David's heart breaks. And Psalm 51 is what has happened with a brokenhearted David before the Lord. So let's read it. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. Teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thinking about confessional prayer, 
I believe that the problem with confessional prayer is not so much prayer as it is confession. Like, I am fairly convinced that the reasons we don't pray confessionally is not as much that we don't know how to pray, it's that we don't know how to confess. Like, conf- this is, so here's the lesson on prayer today. Figure out how to confess and then tell God. That's, that's confessional prayer. The difficulty with confessional prayer is confessing. And so I want to start at ground zero and kind of work ourselves this morning through confession, through how to confess in a right way before the Lord, how to do this in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And so first, this is what I need to say, is there in, Christ, in the Christian faith, in the, in the path of Christ, there is forgiveness to be found. I don't know where we're starting with everybody, so I'll start here. There is forgiveness to be found. In this faith, grace is abundant. It's to be found. But you have to ask for it. You have to communicate to the Lord for it. It isn't just happening. And I'm not saying you make a mistake and you have to ask for grace. And you make a mistake and you have to ask for grace. What I'm saying is it's the grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of God is not just falling on the earth like a rainstorm and we're all just getting wet with grace. That's not what's happening. The grace of God is available to all who ask. There is a requirement of relationship in order to receive the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's what prayer, prayer is in part. Prayer is submission. When we pray, we establish our relationship before holy God. That's what we do. When we speak to God, and I will say this, I encourage you not to always pray silently. I find that when my mouth opens and sound comes out, real words, it adjusts my position before God. Sometimes we can think so like quickly and incoherently and in concept that we're not actually prostrating ourselves. This was a period of time, by the way, when no one ever prayed silently. It was inappropriate. So I would encourage you to find a place, a silent place, where out of your mouth comes prayer. And then you will hear your own words as they're coming out. And your own prayer will break you down before the Lord. So prayer is our way of saying, God, we need grace. Because grace is available in this faith. There's forgiveness to be found by those who seek it. This is part of the big idea. Right? This is what makes Christianity, Christianity. The way of Christ, the way of Christ. That Christ has come to destroy death and to forgive us. This is what salvation is. And the irony of it is, we hesitate to confess to God because we think we're going to we think we're going to make him mad or we think he doesn't love us when the whole reason that God has made himself known to us is for the purpose of receiving our confession and giving grace there is no other reason known to man why God has made himself his existence and his presence and his attributes known to man except for the purpose of putting us in right relationship with him. And yet when we feel the presence of God, sometimes we shrink away from bringing our sin into the light as though he's surprised. It's for this very purpose that he came. It is for the purpose 
of washing you clean that he has come. Which makes confessional prayer central. So confession is not something to be avoided. There is forgiveness for those who seek it. I sometimes wonder if we think confession is like, um, I'm not going to say like your spouse, like a spouse, like, a, like a, an unforgiving spouse. You know, when you, sometimes we don't want to go to God because we think like we might think with humans, they won't, for, they're not, they won't, not this time. The second time I did this, she forgave me. But the third time? Or he's going to use this as ammunition. Like, if I confess this, it's going to show up 10 years from now. Remember when you... And those hard-earned lessons with fallen people make lessons we use with a holy God. Jesus is a perfect spouse. He does not use our confession against us. He uses it for us. This is what it says in 1 John. 1 John 1, 8 is, uh, I'll just read it to you very quickly. It, it's such a great submission of, of this idea. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claimed we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his words has no place in our lives. When we don't confess, one of two things is happening. Either we say we don't need it, like we say we're not sinning, or we are denying our relationship with God. We're denying a right relationship. Either we're denying the fact that we need to confess sin, in which case the truth is not in us and we're making ourselves out to be a liar or we're denying who God says he is. We're denying what God says about himself. We're saying, God, you're not a God who is abundant in grace. God, you're not a God who is long-suffering and who is patient. And God, you did not send your son to save me. When you do not confess, that is what you say. That is the prayer that rises before the Lord. Okay, so let's go a little deeper. So for many of us, um, this is how confession works. Confession is occasioned by a sin. We sin and we confess that sin. Or at least that's the pattern. You, know, you, you, make, you sin or you, you trip up or you make a mistake and you say, God, I'm sorry. You sin, you confess the sin. You sin and you confess the sin. Lord, forgive me for that sin. Forgive me for doing that thing. In fact, verse 0 kind of suggests that, doesn't it? Verse 0 shows that the prayer of David is occasioned by his sin. Actually, it's not occasioned by his sin. It's occasioned by being confronted by Nathan, which brought out the heinous nature of his sin. If brothers and sisters in Christ could only be that way. So his prayer is, in fact, occasioned by kind of coming into grips with his sin. And this is how I think many Christians live their life, is they make a mistake and they confess about it. And, and I'm not trying to, I'm not busting on it. It's, but it's kind of a pray-as-you-go scenario. You know, you mess up and you pray. 
he, here's the problem with that: is it doesn't that idea does not work for all of us. Um, what if? What if, in your mind, it isn't something you did that's sinful. It's who you are that is sinful. Like so, some of you don't don't understand this. You you make a mistake and you ask forgiveness, but some some of you here, who you are, is the problem. Like before the Lord, when you're trying to pray before the Lord, it isn't Lord forgive me because I failed there. It's Lord I'm a failure. I am a failure. All of me is a failure. Like. Praying as you go, kind of dealing with the occasion of sin, doesn't work if your sin is not an occasion sort of thing. What if your sin is kind of epidemic in your life? What if it's an addiction to life? You have a a sexual addiction or a substance addiction or something about your identity is addicted to something in the world that is defining it. You have an eating disorder because you're being defined by something. And at every level it's present in your life. It connects to all of who you are. So for someone to say, well, just confess it. You're like, how can I confess? I would be forsaking myself. How does someone someone say, you know, this is where, I'll just get very harsh and specific. This is where the church is very unhelpful when dealing with addicts or people with sexual identity issues. As we say, well, God hates the sin and loves the sinner. And they say, they're one in the same person. Occasioned confession does not work when it results in me denying everything I am before God. It's I am a failure, not I have failed. It's I am an addict, not occasionally I do this. It's I am chronic. I am chronically depressed and helpless in my depression. All of who I am is in a low place, crying out, and I can't do it. There's nothing in me. I can't go, oh, I'm sorry. I lack faith. Not, I had a momentary slip where I was weak in the faith. It's, I am a man who is weak in faith. Like, how do you confess that occasion? We're not all the same. There are different kinds of people. And in this world of confession, there are at least two kinds of people. There are people who are even keel, and they go through life, and they make a mistake, and they're sorry. And I'm not busting on that. I'm not calling it self-righteous. In fact, many of you here who are like that, who ha- you've never had this heinous thing in your life, or you're not addiction prone, or you've just you've had a special grace given to you that places you in a place where you make a mistake and you're sorry. I'm just here to say we're not all like that. Your sin comes on occasion and you deal with it. Like David, right? Let's see. Let's see if this is how David dealt with it. Let's go back and look at the first nine verses. I admit that Nathan's calling out of David is the occasion for the prayer. But listen to the prayer. 
Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judged. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost places. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Does that sound like David is confessing an occasion? Transgressions, he says, all twice, all my iniquity. My sin is always before me. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful when my mother conceived me. And then there is this theme in it, wash me, Lord, cleanse me. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. This repetitive desire three or four times in the first nine verses, you see David beseech the Lord to cleanse him in his inmost places, in his deep places in life. Lord, you have to come deep in me to fix this. Does that sound like an occasion? You see, David's sin occasions his confession, but his confession is not about his occasion. Our sin is the occasion for our confession. But when we confess, we're not confessing about the occasion. So to the even-keel Christian, I'm going to talk to this crowd first. To the one who you mess up and you say you're sorry. And again, I'm not trying to like, make that out to look bad. You can be a very good, God-loving, God-pursuing person. I am not calling you self-righteous. I'm, what I want to do is highlight or call it a proclivity or a danger towards error in your life. Which is this. The temptation to never, ever get beyond the fruit of your sin, to what caused the sin in the first place? Like, to you who kind of makes a mistake and like, ah, oh, I'm sorry I did that. Ah, you know, you're going to make a mistake and I'm sorry I did that. There's, there's a chance that in your life you'll never ever get beyond the tiny fruit, the, the fruit that's way out on the ends of the branches of your fallen condition. What's causing that fruit to grow? Well, if you kind of deal with the occasion, I sinned and I ask the Lord to forgive the sin. If you're dealing with the occasion of the sin, you're not dealing with the source of the sin. And God is about changing you at the roots, not at the fruit. Remain in me and bear fruit, he says. But if you just stay at a surface level, you can be honest and you can be devout and you can be shallow. Because the reality is, is we don't sin We are sinful. We're trying to get to sinfulness, aren't we? That's what we're doing. We sin, which is the occasion, which causes us to rush to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, for I am sinful. I am a sinful person. 
Sinfulness is something I do. This is, this is the path of prayer. You risk never dealing with a soul issue if you stay with the occasions. I can imagine it this way. Imagine a child, okay, little Tommy. Now, little Tommy's going to be theoretical. He's going to be far more eloquent than most Tommies. But imagine little Tommy who takes a toy from Cindy, and you go and you tell little Tommy you need to give the toy back, and he gives the toy back, and you say, well, why do you do that? And he says, it was my toy. It was my toy. I got it for Christmas, right? Many of you in your households are embroiled in this as we speak. The idea of possession. It was my toy. And you say, well, you know, Tommy, you know in our house we share. We share all, all, so many of our things. But it was my toy. And if, if Tommy is kind of willing to have a conversation and is eloquent enough, and if you stayed at it with him, but well, tell us, why do you call it yours? da 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 well, what do you mean when you say it's yours? Why, do you see mom and dad share so many things? What gives you the right to call something? If you did that long enough and long enough, and if the child could hang with you, if he was mature enough to continue to dialogue with you, you would eventually get to this confession. Because I am selfish, is what Tommy would say. And you'd say, we got it. We got it. We are not confessing the sin of taking the toy from Cindy we are confessing the sinfulness of being selfish. We have at last reached the root of our humanity. That is what confession is about. The reality is, is there really are not two groups of people. There aren't people who sin occasionally, and there aren't people whose entire being is sinful. Our beings are broken. We have a community of infected people. And I admit, for some it is dramatic and tragic and it feels more hopeless than others, but we share the same condition. So then, I don't want to end here. This is why I'm going to go along. I don't want to end here. Because this is a place of despair. You know, so if, if the addict is accurate, if we are the addict, if we ultimately are sinful, then what do we do? Do we despair? Do every day we wake up and have a six hour long languishing prayer of confession bemoaning our condition? Is our life supposed to be a big, like, whoa, whoa, whoa is me? Look what I am. Is that, is that, cons- if this is in fact our condition, is that then what our lot is? Is that the Christian? We've certainly seen this expression of the Christian faith, right? And something in us goes, that doesn't look fun. That doesn't look fulfilling. Is this to be our lot? Let's read the second half of the psalm. Verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Is that a prayer of despair? No. Is it a prayer, I was born sinful, yada, 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 I'm worthless? No, that's not it. On contrary, the prayer ends very differently than it begins. It begins with, Lord, the problem that is before you is not my sin, but my sinfulness. This is who I am. But the prophet Nathan just broke open the doors of who David was. And he's laying it out for the Lord, going, Lord, I am sinful. And then it changes. It changes from, I am sinful, to, cure me. It doesn't say, forgive my heart. It says, give me a new heart. Create in me a pure heart. That word create is is the same word of God created the heavens and the earth. It's the same Hebrew, which means from nothing, create in me a new heart. Don't take the material that's here in me and fix my heart. It's not re-engine my heart. It's not retool my heart. It's not repair my heart. It is create in me a divine heart that is pure. So it's change me. Give me a new heart. And then, then I will teach of your ways. Then I will tell and sing of your praises. Then I will boast of your righteousness. For I desire to bring you glory. That's the prayer. I am sinful. Make me new. Then I will say, I will tell and teach of your salvation. When we come to the realization that we're hopelessly sinful, It's only then that we see the magnitude of God's grace. God is not forgiving your sin. God is making you new. It's different. And to those people who feel hopeless in their identity, God is not disgusted with you because of who you are. He knows you in your inmost places, and he was with you at conception. The reality is, is that the prayer, even in this prayer, he begins with, Lord, I am sinful, and he ends with, Lord, your salvation is great, and your righteousness is worthy, and and I have joy in you. It ends there, and the reality is, is that Psalm 51 is one psalm in 150 psalms. The reality is is that God doesn't save us and redeem us so that we, like a pulling a string, have confessional prayers all the time. Woe is us. God saves us and redeems us so that we can write 149 other psalms of life and of him and of what he's doing. God has saved us for a purpose. And some of us, we get trapped in our sinfulness. We think that that is who we are. And when you are that way, I'm saying the person who feels so self-deprecated in their sin 
You are rejecting and denying the power of Jesus Christ. You are saying, he does not have the love or the power to save me, which is tantamount to saying, he did not send his son for me, and his son was not raised from the dead. Jesus has saved us for his kingdom. He desires a humble and contrite heart. And confession is the doorway to the kingdom. We're going to take some time now um, to let this fall in a way that needs to fall. There's so many different people here. I don't know, uh, I don't know how to pray it out for you. Uh, I want to just give you time. And I'll invite the praise team up, and, and we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll sing together. But I want this to be a time of honest response on your part. I want you to be able to approach the Lord in the way that you need to approach the Lord. I want you to be honest before the Lord. And I don't mean that you need to pray a Psalm 51 prayer. I just think that you need to be able to express before the Lord, this hasn't been right in my life. The way I have approached you, or the way I haven't. Lord, I have been praying as I go. I've been dealing with my sin and never addressing the source of my sin. Or Lord, I have been denying the fact that you love me despite the fact that I am sinful. Sinful from birth. I'll close this in prayer and then I'll give you some time. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray for quiet souls. Lord, we confess that there is nothing in us that warrants your love. That the things that are good about us, you made. They give credit to your person, not ours. And that the things in us that fall short are not by your hand, Lord, but by our hand. Father, that on our best days, we still disappoint. But Lord, you've come because you've loved us on our worst days. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, we are sinful. We are prone to error. But Lord, we recognize that you have not come to save the good, but you have come to save the sick. Father, and that you do not approach the sinful world with, with simply a heart of justice and anger, Lord, but you lead with a heart of mercy. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, everyone here this morning would be willing to rejoice and receive the grace of Christ. Lord, we do not diminish sin. We don't diminish the, the deep sins and the sins that hurt people and the addictions and the broken ways that we live, Father. We're not trying to make light of that, Father, but we are trying not to diminish the measure of your grace.
Help us do that, Lord. Give us your perspective on what you've done. Lord, I pray to hearts reaching for you for the first time. And I pray to hearts that have returned to you, either through confession or just prayer, a million times, Lord. I pray that your mercies would be new and the chance to confess in a real way would, would be new as well, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that the joy of your salvation would lead us to write new songs. Songs that the world hears and that draws them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.